Tonight's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The word of the Lord. It's funny to me, like almost ha-ha funny, that the disciples ask Jesus to teach them to pray, And he teaches them what seems like almost nothing about how to pray. He whips off this very short little prayer. It's 201 characters, God forbid, the size of a tweet. (laughs) And then he tells a funny story and then makes an outrageous promise. Not a lot of instruction. The disciples say, teach us like John taught his disciples to pray. Well, I'm guessing John gave lengthier instruction, taught a more rigorous discipline out there in the desert, like the desert fathers who have loads of teaching on prayer, voluminous. I mean, like the liturgy of the hours comes in four volumes. The rule of St. Benedict stipulates eight prayer periods per day. So many people have so much to say about prayer. St. Jerome says you should never eat before thanking God, nor leave the table without thanking the Creator. Before you leave the house, pray. When you come back, pray. There are Jewish prayers for reciting along with the enjoyment of any material pleasure, like wearing new clothes, drinking wine, taking a bath. Prayers to recite upon seeing anything unusual, such as a king or a rainbow or a unicorn. 
The Asher Yad Sahar is a prayer to be recited after every successful bowel movement. <laughs> Roughly translated, it goes, Thank you, God, who formed human beings with wisdom and created them with openings and orifices. If one of these were ruptured or one of them was blocked, it would be impossible to stand before you and survive. Blessed are you, God, who heals all flesh and acts wondrously. I think this is all so wonderful, really. I want to learn to cultivate gratitude throughout the day, to stop and pay attention to my body and my soul and the presence of God, to be aware of what is beyond me, what I am given, put down my phone, damn it, turn off my laptop, and thank God or the universe that there is food, that I can drink and eat and taste and love and sleep and poop. I mean, what would be the option? Praise God for life. Later on, Paul will instruct the Christian community to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. But here in the text for tonight, the disciples ask Jesus to teach them to pray, and he gives them barely any instruction at all. 29 words, give or take. It seems practically irreverent, irresponsible, unhelpful. Jesus says when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name. Give us our day, our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone indebted to us. Is he being sarcastic here? Because I've been alive for quite a while, and I haven't found any humans that forgive everyone everything. And do not bring us to a time of trial. Amen. I mean, I guess maybe they didn't have time for a contemplative retreat. Teach us to pray. It seems crucial and profound and weighty. And Jesus makes light of it, sort of. Makes it light. A tiny prayer, a funny story, an outrageous promise. I wonder if Jesus might have regretted how he whipped off this response later on, like laying in bed when he was trying to sleep. Like, oh man, was I kind of being an ass? <laughs> Messing with them, not giving them what they were after. Oh, I should have been more careful. Anticipated what people might do with this in the future. Perhaps I should have stipulated that praying for God's kingdom to come must never be equated with praying for the empire to triumph colonize Africa and India and Mexico and every non-white place on the planet, violently forcing people to convert to Christianity, I should have made it clear <laughs> that praying for God's kingdom to come is quite the opposite of praying God bless America. And while I'm at it, I probably should have been a little more thoughtful about the whole father thing. He should have. I mean, I think it might have been helpful. How different might the world be if Jesus said, pray like this, mother, hallowed be thy name, or father, mother, hallowed be thy name, or father, or mapa, hallowed be thy name. <laughs> but it was too late. It was out there. And the thing kind of snowballed, went to some men's heads, thinking their gender was most like God. And yeah, look what happened. For 2,000 years, churches all across the world have been repeating these exact words every week. I kind of don't think that's what Jesus meant to happen. I don't know. Like, did Jesus sit down for a beer that night and strike his forehead with his palm 
I was too blithe, too casual. I was too insensitive to the weight of it all. I mean, they ask him to teach them. He gives them 29 words and tells a funny story, a humorous parable, the meaning of which is not that obvious or really very instructive. My translation of the Bible labels this parable perseverance in prayer. But I don't think that's a very good summary. It's probably sort of wrong-headed to try to summarize, though we're often eager to. What is Jesus up to with the story? Jesus gives them the words to pray, which are all requests, really. Not expressions of gratitude or praise. It's give us, forgive us, don't do this, take care of us, amen. Which seems maybe presumptive or something. Like, really? When you pray, make demands of God rather than something a little more praisey? Or reverent? Doesn't God want praise? Doesn't God want glory? Jesus' little prayer is quite surprising in this respect. So maybe the disciples conveyed their surprise. And so Jesus tells them this strange, funny little parable about friends who inconvenience one another successively. One friend arrives at another's home in the middle of the night, apparently expecting a meal. So the friend whose house it was goes to another friend's house, knocks on the door, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine arrived at my house in the middle of the night and I need to feed him. And that friend says, why are you bothering me in the middle of the night? I'm in bed. My kids are in bed. I've locked the door. I can't give up, get up and give you three loaves of bread in the middle of the night. That's absurd. And then Jesus says, and it's surprising, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because He's his friend's, his friend, at least because of his shamelessness, he'll get up and give him anything he needs. What? People usually translate shamelessness as persistence here, probably because it makes more sense. It's a neater lesson, persist. Why would the friend give him whatever he needs because of his shamelessness? Is Jesus saying to be shameless in your prayer? Don't worry about what is appropriate. Midnight, it's fine. 2 a.m., whenever, really, no need to tiptoe around with your prayer. Don't be ashamed. Maybe he didn't give them that much instruction because what he really wanted to convey was more something about who God is. And so, what it might be like to communicate to God. Like, don't worry about it so much. Martin Luther asked his colleagues, I'm not sure why this is a part of known history, but it is, to pray to God that he be relieved of his constipation. That seems so shameless. Free or something. And Luther said, Prayer is like a conversation between a trusting child and a loving parent. Not lowly supplicants bending the knee before glorious royalty. The Our Father thing isn't about some essential maleness, obviously. It reflects the kind of intimacy that you might find in a family. It assumes a parent who is accessible and compassionate, not remote and scary. 
Maybe that's why Jesus was trying to convey with this funny story about friends. Don't worry. Don't be ashamed. Be yourself. Go ahead and be like a child speaking to a parent who loves you, a friend bugging his friend. The posture of prayer isn't pious. It's more intimate and shameless. Maybe that's what Jesus is getting at. Be free to ask for what you want. You don't have to overthink it. Maybe Jesus wanted more than to instruct them in prayer, to show them something about what God feels about them. James Allison did a retreat for us a while back where he talked about prayer. And I'll always remember him saying, don't make your children pray for starving kids in Africa if what they really want to pray for is chocolate pudding. Like the thing that you learn in prayer is somehow more like honesty than piety. It's about beginning to know what you desire or admit what you desire. Allison said it's when you can bring together the words I and desire that your desires can be malleable, transformed. If you don't admit you want things, those desires run you. Hiding them or pretending they aren't there takes up a lot of energy. God wants us to be who we are, likes who we are. Even though we're crazy and broken, bitter, selfish, narcissistic, needy, I know, it's hard to believe. God loves us. Ask and you will receive, Jesus says. Maybe not chocolate pudding, but Jesus says the Holy Spirit. Prayer is a place where we might learn who we are, needy, hungry, human, loved. Jesus seems to be saying in prayer we might know ourselves as love. Maybe that is what receiving the Holy Spirit is like. The Holy Spirit of radical mercy and love and inclusion. And receiving that will transform us, our desires, stretch them, expand them to something quite a bit more beautiful and broad and expansively merciful. Free us from our anxious little desires for control, maybe, or that the world be how we imagine it should be or other people, how we think they should be. Our desire for something more orderly than radical love and mercy for all, our enemies. Radical love and mercy for the horrible, terrible people out there ruining the world, in our opinion. I mean, how do you get to that? Jesus says, ask and you will receive. Knock, and the door will be open. God will give you good gifts, really good gifts, not money or brownies. I mean, those seem kind of good, but the Holy Spirit. That might not be what you think you want, but the spirit of love will transform you. What if God is really good, really love? It's not like God wants more than anything to be highly regarded, like God enjoys flattery, wants subjects who are loyal, servile, and obsequious. God wants love. And who would know more about love than God? Like what love takes, some gratitude certainly, but not flattery, servility. 
More like enduring, merciful, honest, and sickness and health, for better or worse, naked, unadored. It doesn't matter how broken you are, love. I think sort of broadly, culturally speaking, the world tends to worship power. The Almighty. Maybe not a powerful, all-knowing deity, but power. Power rules. If there's a God, whatever God is, God must be the most powerful thing there is. What else would make God God? Isn't that practically what God means? Some magisterial, omnipotent, almighty power? But if you look at Jesus with the idea that looking at him will tell you what God is like, God isn't about showing us how great God is. God's thing isn't power. Like, really isn't. Not like it could be, but it isn't. But it isn't. God's thing is not anything like what we know of power or the kind of power we crave or believe in or follow or try to have. Jesus helps us to see a God whose power is love, which may be a very different thing than controlling everything in the world, you know? The story in the Gospels is about a God who comes to us utterly weaponless, thoroughly mercifully, gives up power probably because That is how love works. In prayer, we allow ourselves to be disarmed, unmasked, come out of hiding, give up control, because that is how love works. Jesus says, knock, and the door will be opened. I think he might actually have chosen this image carefully or thoroughly, not rashly. An open door is such a different thing than an answer. So different than yes, no, maybe. Sometimes people talk about prayer in terms of answered prayer or unanswered prayer. I'm not sure that answer is a word that fits at all, really. I mean, people do say answer the door, but it's sort of a funny expression, really. I mean, the door didn't ask a question. Someone knocks at the door, we open it. Open up. Knock. And of course God is there. I like this image of God opening the door. So maybe we can see God at least a little and God can see us. The door is a barrier to intimacy. Knock and it will be opened. And maybe over time, glimpsing this merciful, loving other, we'll begin to understand ourselves as as loved and be freed to love. And that will change the world.